Welcome to Jim Galliano's Building a Better Web Presence podcast. Build something better with less moving parts, less overhead, and less headaches. Hey everyone, this is Jim Galliano, and thanks for joining me for this week's podcast episode. Hope you had a nice 4th of July. I know I did, and it's great to have you here today, whether you're a new listener or a long-time listener. This is the podcast where we talk about building a better kind of online business, and this is especially so for the solopreneurs, freelancers, and professionals out there who are just exhausted and looking for a better way forward. And in my opinion, a better way will always take these three boxes less moving parts, less overhead, less headaches. And yes, I know that's not grammatically correct, but it is very easy to remember. Anyway, today's episode is brought to you by OneToManySystem.com. That's OneToManySystem.com. And this is what you need when you're ready to expand your online reach and your client base. It's a complete system that will show you how you can scale your business without a team, or without a big budget. You can simplify everything from your marketing, which will enable you to reduce your focus to a few basic things and build an audience in the process. If you want to learn more about how this works, watch the presentation. You'll see exactly how it's done at onetomanysystem.com. And finally, if this podcast helps you or encourages you as you travel down your own life's business path, Please consider taking a minute to share the link and a few comments about it with some of your business friends. Just so you know, your sharing of this podcast does make it possible for me to reach people who would otherwise be very difficult to reach. We all know how noisy and how crowded it is out there, especially in the business space these days. So you sharing a link to a specific episode or sharing a general link to the overall podcast, you can do that at jimgalliano.com forward slash podcast. Sharing either or is greatly appreciated. So thank you. I really appreciate your support. So today, I'd like to share some thoughts with you about blogging for business growth in 2022 and in 2023. And when I say business growth, I'm talking about probably several different things that make up the whole. Things like, well, off the top of my head, traffic to your website, prospects, building your personal brand, or having more people discovering you and what you do for the very first time. Then making sales, building a reputation, becoming a go-to choice in your marketplace. All of these things can be wrapped up in that business growth statement that I just made. And off the top of my head, I know most of you, many of you are already using uh, WordPress for one or more of your business activities. Many of you have been doing so for years. So whether you're just getting started, whether you're rebooting, or whether you're a veteran, I want to talk about things today that will apply to everyone as we look a little bit into this topic of blogging for business growth. Now, even if your site is nothing more than a basic landing page with some basic information, I'm going to assume that a lot of these sites, most of them, are built upon WordPress. And this is perfect, especially if you're starting a blog or you're reactivating an existing one. I would say that most people either at one point or another maybe put at least an initial effort into blogging or know a little bit about what it's about. I know that the term isn't foreign to anybody really anymore, especially if you're in the business space. But over the past several years, many people have asked the question, is blogging dead? 
And it, for a while there, it sort of appeared that social media was sounding the death knell for bloggers or people who did blogging. And we're going to talk a little bit about that too. But when you look at the big picture, when you just kind of zoom out and you look at where we've come from, where we are, and where we appear to be going, the fact of the matter is, is that content would have to be dead before blogging would be dead. And I know a lot of people create content that they host on their own website. They have WordPress posts that they publish and that they share on social media, but they don't consider themselves bloggers per se. Some consider themselves uh, newsletter writers. Others look at themselves as more or less being uh, tutorial creators. But it's really all blogging when you get right down to it, especially if it's hosted on a WordPress-based site, right, site using WordPress, and the content is published ongoing in the form of posts and pages, or excuse me, posts, I should say, not posts and pages. But even if the content within those posts is also available in other places, like maybe a Facebook group or some of that content may be there. I know a group is really not, social media is not a great place for long form content. I'll talk a little bit about that too. But, uh, you know, YouTube, I guess you could call it a search engine for video. And that's another form of long form content. But I know a lot of people who have WordPress-based sites, if they have a video hosted on YouTube, that video is also available on their website. Now, some people might say, well, if it's available on YouTube, won't people avoid going to the website? I think it depends on whether or not they want additional information on how strongly they connect to the person creating that information. We'll talk about some of that, too. So... Let me start by saying this. Blogging was a key element in my own online marketing strategy going all the way back to 2008. That's when I kind of turned the corner and WordPress became a, um, I might call it a primary tool, I guess, in how I did my online marketing and how I created my own content. For the sake of time, I'm going to touch on several areas around this topic in this episode, I want to give you a big picture of how blogging could possibly fit into your existing business or your marketing strategy. And uh, let me start by saying this. If you're new to WordPress, I know most of you aren't, but just bear with me for a moment for the sake of people who are new. WordPress websites are generally broken down content-wise into two basic areas. We have posts and we have pages. I'm just talking about a simple website structure here. Posts are like articles, and pages, for the most part, contain information that really doesn't change that often or with that kind of frequency. So, for example, a business website may have uh, home pages, and maybe they use the home page to do things like promote their core messaging, or maybe they use it also to build the subscriber base, getting people to opt in. Or maybe they focus on talking about a particular kind of product or service. And then we have other pages like about pages to talk about the individual or the company. There are contact pages, product pages. And again, we're just touching on the basics here. This isn't anything in depth. Many of the new sites today work like this. The difference is those sites have content built around many different topics in many different categories. What's happening in news, sports, entertainment, politics, local, and so on. For a solopreneur's use case, we're going to be focusing on a central topic 
along with the subtopics that complement our main topic. But even as an individual or one person creating content by themselves, you have the option of going more or less wide or you can go narrower, more focused and deep. For example, if you were writing about a sport, you could talk about one division or you could talk about several divisions. That's what I mean, all within the same sport, about going wider as far as your different topics and how they connect with one another or really narrowing down on one thing. There's pros and cons to both. So I think that barring a little bit from each has its place. Some articles you want to go hyper-focused and very deep, but you also want to be broad enough so that you have a wide enough market uh, that will be interested in that topic that will want to come back for additional kinds of information. When I first learned how all of this worked, I jumped into the uh, blogging world. This was back in 2008, and I followed just the very basics, the stuff that made sense at the time. And I didn't, use, I didn't cross my T's or dot my I's or much of that. It was all about just getting this content cranked out, and I experienced great success with this going all the way back to 2009. And I stayed with this. I stayed with blogging until around 2012 when I began to take my foot off the accelerator a bit because everything was changing then. 2012, as I think about it right now, was kind of a transition year. It was kind of a, kind of a pivotal year for me because that's, that's when I realized, that was the year that I realized that social media had changed the way we were communicating with one another and conversations that used to happen in places like forum-type websites, uh, they, those conversations were beginning to transition to places like Facebook, even in the comment section. People commenting and interacting in a blog content section, especially a popular blog, was a pretty big thing at the time. Lots of people did it, engaged in conversations and sub-conversations. And when they started to go on a decline, then it was pretty obvious, at least to me it was, where the future was going as far as community and social interaction. So blogs were no longer a place of community as they had once been. But that didn't mean they lost their place altogether. It's almost like how people look at social media today and compared to what social media used to be in its heyday when you could basically run an entire business without even having to pay for a single ad. If you remember that time back between, I'd say, 2009 and 2013, I know some of my clients, as I was saying before, ran their businesses, sold products, built community, did all of these things, quote unquote, for free using places like Facebook and Twitter and, and other social platforms. So the blogs were no longer a place of community. They were still a place of content, but it's very easy to look at things from an all or nothing type of perspective and say that something's dead when it's really not. It's just no longer as popular as it once was. Like I was saying, there were times when you could see a very long thread and you would go back to that blog post days after the conversation had first begun and there's still people commenting on it. Still, I'm sure there's still some established sites out there that still get a lot of interaction in the comment areas. And I'm sure that there's still some active forums as the old quote-unquote fashion forums used to be. Those things are not altogether dead, as I was saying. They're just no longer as popular with the masses. But let's look at what hasn't changed. Okay, let's talk about what hasn't changed from looking, at, again, at the blog. The format of a blog post article made it easier and continues to make it easier 
to build out your thoughts, your insights, your ideas, your opinions more effectively, both in the amount of content that you're creating and how you present it visually than you can on a social media post. Because basically social media puts you a Facebook, a LinkedIn, a Twitter within a certain within certain confines that you can't go beyond. It's not like you can move a photograph into the past the third paragraph or insert an audio here and a photo here and do it all in one concise section. So when you consider the fact that you can add audio, video, images, downloads, or just about anything else that you can think of within a single post, plus again, you have control over the formatting, the visuals, the type fonts, all of that, that hasn't changed. That hasn't changed at all. So you're not going to get that on a social media platform where basically one size fits all. Now recently, I noticed what appears to be a trend emerging, or we may say re-emerging if we go back far enough, where people are sharing in Facebook groups links to blog articles to websites, of course, that are existing outside of Facebook. And that's been frowned upon for years by Facebook in general. You used to be able to do that from your personal profile. You used to be able to share external links and you get a lot of traffic to those posts that you made, but not anymore because Facebook recognizes that you're trying to send people off their platform somewhere else. So, but within a group, it's still possible to do that. It's still possible to share external content. Now, of course, the people still have to be present there and that conversation can easily be pushed all the way down the page and lost in a matter of, of days. And of course, you know, people don't spend as much time on social media in general, according to the statistics, as they used to. And I know at least in my own marketplace, that people spend a fraction of time uh, compared to what they used to spend on any one given social platform on any given day. But again, people are sharing these links to articles that are written, posted on various blogs, and then the group will go and read that article, individuals, and then they'll discuss that, not in a common area on the blog, but back in the Facebook group. So this approach, like I said, it doesn't work nearly as well outside of a group page as it does inside one. My thinking is that, of course, Facebook is never at this point going to purposely promote uh, content that takes anyone off the platform without a paid ad being part of the equation. Now, let's talk briefly about long-form content. Here's my quick definition of long-form content. Any piece of content that's at least 1,500 plus words in length. Now, I worked out my own formula over the years, and then again recently. Anything I write that's around 1,500 to 1,800 words long and topically focused, so in other words, I'm not rambling just to create that word count of 1,500 to 1,800 words, but I'm speaking about a topic that I know about, so I'm able to go into some detail on it. Now, believe me, I have also written rambling posts. It's, it's easy to do if you know about a topic because just like when you're speaking verbally or in an audio, you can go down a rabbit trail, and if you're a fast typer and you're used to writing, you can do that in print also. But if I write a 15 to 1800 word long article that's topically, and I keep the focus there, topically focused, it's going to rank in the SERPs, S-E-R-P, apostrophe S, search engine ranking pages, that's what I'm talking about. It's going to rank there on average in approximately, and this is just a ballpark park figure, it could be sooner, it could be a little bit later, but this is on average 
it's going to rank at its highest position in approximately 9 to 12 months. Now, if I wrote and built up a volume or a body of work that is focused around a very well-defined group of topics, then Google's AI, and I'm sure Bing's and everyone else that calls themselves a search engine, the AI is smart enough to recognize authority content. And there's other things that you can do also to help yourself along uh, SEO-wise. But years ago, I decided to take the systems that I had used for myself and apply them to local businesses. I was just curious whether it would be just as effective, a little more effective, less effective, not effective at all. And I decided to do it with a few of my local clients that I was close with. And I explained to them how it works just as I'm explaining it to you in this episode. And I let them know that there's nothing, you know, nothing's a, nothing's written in stone. I can't give you a guarantee. Now, as time has gone on, that was about a year and a half ago, I can almost guarantee that if you know your topic and you create and you, and you continue to create long-form content around it, you will rank. Now, of course, it depends what niche you're in and what your competition is like. It can happen sooner rather than later. And in my personal opinion, it's easier to rank a local business because Google understands the difference between a local business versus a, a information-based site. So if you're going to write about skincare just as the type of person that has a skincare type of products, maybe you create books around skincare, you create uh, videos around different skincare related topics, and you compare that business model to, let's say, my local clients where people come in to actually have and they pay for skincare services where it's a hands-on type of business and they're working directly with clients, then Google understands the difference between those two things. So if you're local, then the, the SEO game is perhaps a little quicker than it would be than if you don't have a physical place of business that people are going to. So that, those are just some of the basics that are connected with this topic. So if you were going to write on how to be a better affiliate marketer or how to be a better internet marketer, then of course you're probably talking about 10 times as many competitors in general because we're talking about a, a business that people in a large part aren't necessarily seeking out on just a local level because there are many sources of that type of information that we can draw from worldwide, internationally, and so that is our competition. So it's important to realize or recognize where your competition is before you get started because that can determine what type of strategy you're going to use as far as what your focus is going to be. So anyway, back to what I was saying. In this example, skincare was a top-level keyword, and but how to solve a specific facial or skincare-related problem, that would be another uh, keyword phrase. Some people would call this a long-tail long SEO or a long-tail keyword. It's just basically a few words or a short sentence that people would type in looking for the solution to that kind of problem. So I had my client in the skincare niche do both. I had her write about basic skincare topics. I also had her write based on these long tail keywords, like how to remove Amelia. And she did this for approximately nine months. So she wrote the top level stuff, basic skincare. And then she wrote the other subtopic areas that were connected to that high, 
higher topic or that higher level topic. I hope that makes sense. It's almost like if you bought a book and you have the title of the book. So that's what you're buying the book for. But the book contains many chapters. So the, the blog is kind of like the book in some ways. Or you could say even the article is like the book. And it has a title, but then it has subtopics that explain that overall high-level topic. So we could be talking about exercise in the book, but the chapters are made up of how to eat and uh, low-impact exercises versus high-impact exercises, equipment that you can use, popular diets contrasting one way versus another. And I mean, you can just break it down into all of these different areas. So that's what she began to do. And, and it's important that you understand when we talk about this, there's no such thing as perfection. In other words, there aren't, there's no such thing as a perfect article or perfect article writers. Everything could always be made better. Everything could be made perhaps a bit clearer. And so, and when I talk about doing this and I talk about things like consistency, what I mean by consistency is that you don't walk away from something for large chunks of time, that you're consistent. Whatever consistency means, for some people, it might mean creating one piece of content a month. For other people, it may be creating one piece of content a week. So you get the point, whether you're creating two posts a week or publishing uh, four times a month or once a month or three times a week, whatever it is, try and be consistent with your publishing schedule. And blogging, publishing this kind of content, it will work for local businesses. It will work for online-only businesses. I guess if I had a landscaping type of business, I really not, you know, that's not my area of expertise, but maybe it would be more difficult for me to write that kind of content more than, let's say, six months. But I did know one landscaper. I did have one landscaper as a client for a while. He was sort of semi-retired and he was a solopreneur and he wrote articles about different types of plants that grow here in Florida, what types of plants to use, what to stay away from, what types of flowers attract different breeds of butterflies and things like that. He would write about that. And there were people that enjoyed reading that type of content. He did that for a few years. And I don't know if he ran out of ideas of things to write about or, you know, sometimes you just get to the point where you don't want to work anymore. I think that was more the where he was or he got to that point where it was just time to retire and get out of the business altogether. But Obviously, certain types of topics are easier to write about over the long term than others. The point is stick with what you know. Stick with what's connected to your business. And also, I realize that this isn't for everyone. Not everyone is willing to invest the time and the effort into publishing long-form content. And that's why I let people know up front, you're looking at an investment of time of between 9 months to 12 months before, on average, you see any kind of breakthrough. So let's go a little bit further into this. I don't want to get overly technical with any of it. I want to give you as complete of an overview as possible. Let's talk about, um, well, just to sum this side up, I would say this. Content that ranks becomes business building, brand building content. That's that's goes right along with the bottom line. Because the bottom line is you're building a business you want to attract new prospects, new customers, new clients. And uh, a side note here, if you're writing about a technical kind of topic where the information is always changing, you can do that. You can just plan up front before you even hit the first key on your keyboard 
to maybe bunch the information together in one or two paragraphs that's going to be the type of information that will change every six to 12 months. And that way, instead of having it scattered throughout the article, you can just go back and change those individual chunks of information within your article and they'll be easy to find and easy to keep updated. I'm sure you've seen that before where you've done a search and then you'll see that an article has been updated for 2022. Well, you can do the same thing, whether you write the article uh, two or three years ago and you're looking two or three years into the future, you can update that and you just add that to the title, update it for and whatever the year happens to be. All right, uh, let's see. Let's talk a little bit about WordPress themes. Recently, I took over the website for a large international company. <clears throat> These are uh, executive type clients that have multiple websites and they use WordPress for, they might have 20 or more company sites. One company owns another company and we're talking about large organization. And it always surprises me that a lot of these organizations stick with tools that were popular in the past but aren't really popular as popular today. You may have heard me tell the story before about how I had the Tropic, Tropicana, the orange juice people, as a client of mine years ago. And they were located in my hometown of Bradenton, Florida at the time. They're in Chicago now. But I remember then going there and seeing the setup and how, how the offices were laid out and how surprised I was that the the computers that they were using at the time, the desktops, were not the latest and greatest up-to-date hardware. It was all several years old. And a lot of the bigger companies, it was the same way. Whereas if you go to an individual smaller business, one or two people, then you notice that they make the effort to keep up with the latest and greatest of everything. Well, if you have a large company and you have to buy multiple licenses for software and you have to buy, you know, instead of buying one or two new monitors, you have to buy hundreds. You don't update every six to 12 months. Sometimes you don't upgrade for years and years at a time because of the expense, because of the overhead. And it's that way with a lot of large companies throughout the world, not just here in the United States. But anyway, I noticed that a lot of those companies that build their sites on WordPress were using themes that were popular back, you know, five to 10 years ago. Today, if somebody asked me what type of theme should I build my website on, I would, and, and a lot of um, professional website developers would give them similar advice. Um, I would say that a WordPress theme such as the Astra theme or the Generate Press theme, Cadence theme, uh, Bloxy theme, just a few off the top of my head, these are good themes and everything is changing especially now, the point that we're in. But I think these particular themes will be around for a while. And uh, I, I wouldn't, I've used all of them. Uh, the Astra theme, Generate Press, Cadence theme, uh, Bloxy theme. Those are just a few off the top of my head. Also, uh, SEO plugins. I use SEO Press Pro quite a bit. Yoast, I use the free version of that. For years, I used all-in-one SEO. I use Rank Math on several websites, and I've used the free version of most of the SEO plugins out there. SEO Press Pro was a plugin that I purchased on a lifetime deal. In other words, you buy it once and you use it forever. And if that deal wasn't available, I'd probably be using the free version of it. But to be honest with you, most of the people that I know, 
uh, use the free versions of these uh, SEO type plugins unless they were fortunate enough to get in one, on one of those lifetime deals. Uh, now, on the, the only other technical part that I want to mention here, and an SEO plugin, I don't, again, this isn't something where I follow this rigid scientific formula where I have to have, I have to check all of the boxes just as the maybe uh, plugin suggests. So if you look in the back end and how, how some of these plugins work, there will be suggestions there. And sometimes the suggestion just doesn't make sense for my use case. Sometimes the number of characters, for example, in the title of my post might be a little bit longer, one or two characters longer, or the meta description may not be the exact length. It may be a little bit longer, a little bit shorter. You get what I'm talking about. I don't let myself get handcuffed by those type of suggestions. And I don't put over, I don't overemphasize being technically perfect. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. And I don't recommend that you do either. Because before I knew about any of these tools, uh, like I do now, before I understand how all of these best practices work, I was already ranking because even back then the AI was intelligent enough to know whether someone was intelligently writing and communicating about that topic. And people were reading the articles. So those two things working hand in hand together, if you have that, if you're communicating what you know the best way you know how, you're writing for people and you're automatically going to include certain terms because they are connected with those topics. I found that many times the SEO equation or formula takes care of itself. But those are just my thoughts on it. But of course, again, then I just want to let you know that I've been doing it for a while. And so I've gone from one extreme doing almost nothing to the other extreme, trying to do absolutely everything and wound up somewhere in between. So take that for what it's worth. The only other technical part I want to mention right now is the proper use of what's called H tags in a blog post article. So normally when I say H tags, how do you write that? H hyphen or H dash tags in a blog post article. Normally the title of the article that you write, the title of the post, if you want to call it that, create it in WordPress, will have an H1 tag automatically assigned to it. Why are these tags important? This is SEO again. This is something that helps Google to identify how well the article is written. If these tags were not there on the backside, if they weren't in the code automatically, would that prohibit that article from ranking highly? I guess it would depend. I guess it would depend on the topic and the competition and all those things. But I know it does help, absolutely. So that's why I'm taking the time to explain this to you. So the title would have an H1 tag. Then you go to an introductory paragraph into your article. If you're going to tell a story, if you're going to do a review, you have an introductory paragraph there. And then each of the sections of your article will have a title above it. So if we were doing it, let's say in a Word document, we might have like a bolded um, heading or subheading, and then we would have maybe a few paragraphs under that. And then another bold subheading, if you want to call it that. So each of those little subheadings, those sentences are H2 tags. So for a, a good example maybe would be the chapter of a book versus, that would be your H1 tag versus the 
names of the chapters in the book. Those would be your H2 tags. And, um, and then within the blog article, what I do is I break down each section of the article that way, just like in a book, just like with chapters. So for example, I have an article called The True Fan Business Model for Solopreneurs. And this article is based on an article that someone else wrote, someone named Kevin Kelly back in 2008. And he had the theory that if a solopreneur, and specifically he focused on artists, people that create things like music or artwork, but if they had a thousand fans, and each of those fans paid $100 a year for whatever that artist produced, they would have a six-figure $100,000 business. So I took up that concept and I wrote an article about it, kind of updating it for, at the time it was 2020. So the title of the post, the title of the article is The True Fan Business Model for Solopreneurs. So that automatically, when I put that into WordPress, had the H1 tag assigned to it. Then I had a lead-in paragraph, and then I had my first H2 bolded section tag called Building Big Lists. So that had the H2 tag. Now, if you actually go in the back end of WordPress, you can actually build it one block at a time. You can put an H2 heading, and then you put your paragraph text under it. Then you have another H2 heading and another paragraph under that. And that's how I write most of my articles. So I very rarely use H3 tags. Those are headings within or beneath, nested beneath the H2 tags. So H, you know, just stands for heading. It's a heading tag, but you have one, two, three, four, all the way down to, I think, five or six. But uh, I rarely go beyond the H2 tags. I have building big lists and several paragraphs under that. The next H2 tag, the ne next heading I use is called, does this approach work for the average solopreneur? Then I write my thoughts on that. And then I create another H2, which says building something new alongside of whatever you currently have. And I do that until the whole idea has been completed, until I complete all my thoughts and I have an article that's at least 1,500 or more words. And that's the approach that I've used. And that's the approach, again, that I'm sharing and encouraging you to test out for yourself. So if you want a visual on how this works, just do a search online on how to use H tags, H hyphen or H dash tags, how to use H tags properly in a blog post. Just do that search and you'll see visuals on exactly what I'm talking about here. One last thing before we move on, consider setting up your site with the Google Search Console. I know a lot of people aren't big fans anymore of Google-based products, Google Analytics. I know they think these products are overly complicated, but Google Search Console, I think, strikes the happy medium between an advanced user and a beginner because what it does is they have what's called a monthly report that they email out, or at least they're supposed to. I have one site for whatever reason, I don't get the report, but every other site does. And what happens is they will give you a snapshot on how that site is doing, including the amount of the increase of views that certain articles are getting. And it's a, just a great way to see the incremental progress that you're making. Because when we're talking about the SEO games, sometimes when we're looking out, you know, six, nine, 12 months into the future, what's happening is happening at an incremental pace. And Google Search Console actually enables you to see these 
spurt, little tiny spurts of growth that are happening in increments. It gives you something positive to look at while you're waiting to experience the overall long-term result. So that's Google Search Console. If you haven't connected your website to that, go ahead and do that. All right, finally, let's talk about the overall blogging strategy. If you're an affiliate marketer, for example, your blogging strategy or why you're going to blog, how you're going to blog, what your articles will look like, it's going to be different than somebody who's using blogging to promote a local service-based business. That's a given. Now, for example, if I was an affiliate marketer and I want to sell products using a blog to do that and do reviews on products and that kind of thing, in my mind, I want at least one, if not two things to be present in the affiliate program that I'm going to join. Number one, I want a nice chunk of change up front. I mean, who wouldn't want that? I don't want to put all this effort into blogging and marketing and then just get pocket change at the end of the day. Hey, pocket change is better than no change at all. But you know what I'm saying? If you're going to plan this out from the beginning, look for something that's going to give you a nice return on your investment in time. Number two, I'd look for ongoing residual income. That means I want to keep on getting paid from that initial sale, if at all possible. And any program that has those two things, a nice chunk of change, a nice return on your investment, along with ongoing residual income, I think if you combine those two things together, that's how you'll find the most popular affiliate programs out there today. And a few of them come to mind. And uh, Russell Brunson's program is one of them that ticks both of those boxes. Now, as a content creator, think about it this way. You want to choose your topics and your subtopics very carefully. The longer the lifespan of your articles, now you're thinking, we're thinking strategy here. The longer the lifespan of your articles, the longer those articles will attract and draw traffic to your site over time. Now, there's nothing wrong about writing about what's hot today, what's hot right now, what's working right now, what's new today. But we're really talking about the long game here when we're talking about blogging. We're talking about an initial investment of 9 to 12 months from planting the seeds to getting that first return on the initial effort. Now, you know, again, looking at the big picture of all of it, social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter, they were the end-all be-all for some businesses before the 2020s arrived. Now, I would say that was fading out 2016, 2017, 2018. It was a new game now from the 2020s forward to where we are today in 2022. But, you know, in the past, yeah, you could build an entire business. I saw people doing using just Facebook or just Twitter. But today, social platforms are generally a part of a multi-stepped approach to online marketing. They're no longer a single-step solution. And that's why some people are struggling so badly because if you look at all or nothing, then it just doesn't add up because people no longer use social media the way they used to. People spend as much time on them. People have bad attitudes on them. People are very combative on them. And no wonder people aren't spending as much time. Even in groups where people have things in common, I mean, attitudes have just taken a turn for the worse in the 2020s. So, But still, there are people that are interested in talking about topics. There are some very nice people out there. But you have to look at your, your social presence as not the end-all, be-all, meaning that you're going to use it for all your branding, you're going to use it for all your sales, you're going to use it for all your support. It's just a piece in a much bigger picture. 
and and again, I like to keep the pieces to a minimum. So, you know, maybe you use social media today for not so much for finding new prospects as you do for serving existing customers. And it's not that you can't get new prospects, but it's not really as effective in doing that as it's been in the past. Now, I can go to a Facebook group and ask a question like, I'm trying to get my page builder to perform a certain function. How can I do that? I can go to a Facebook group for whatever page builder I happen to own, and I can ask that question. And oftentimes, I'll get help from a group much faster than I'll get if I go directly to the company's website and open an official support ticket. So in that respect, social media is not dead. It just serves a different function today. It has a different focal point today than it does in the past. So that's how you have to look at it. It's not all or nothing. It's just adjusting to how things have changed. So recognize this, though. For most things, when people go ahead and do a search, what happens? Those searches invariably send them to a WordPress type of blog post or article or sometimes video where someone has created valuable, helpful information. Anything from a long-form article to an in-depth review to help the reader make a better choice or make a better purchase. And that hasn't changed. That was there even in the heyday of social media, which looking back, I would say was between 2010 and 2012. Between 2010 and 2012, not only now, there may have been more people on social media in 2013 through 2015, but in 2010 and 2012, you could almost effortlessly build a following on a platform like Facebook and Twitter. You get thousands and thousands of people to join and interact. You could post something and hundreds of people would see it before the end of the day. And comments, would there be no shortage of comments, no shortage of interaction, no shortage of click-throughs. It was all just like, it was like the Wild West, but in a good way back then. Okay, now today, everything is kind of based on a pay-to-play system. So it is what it is. I'm not trying to be positive. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just trying to look at it as it is and build a strategy according to the way things are. But... Even then, even in the heyday of a Facebook or a Twitter, isn't it true that when you wanted to find something, maybe you went to Amazon and read some reviews, but when you really wanted to dig deep, when you're going to spend some money, you will use a search engine to do your research. And you may read several articles from several different sources before you come to a conclusion. So the people that are able to create valuable, helpful, insightful information to help readers make better choices, to make better purchases. Those type of people are going to be the people who become the personal brands, the popular personal brands of tomorrow. Those are the individuals that are going to become known in whatever business space they're in. Those are the people who are gonna sell the books. Those are the people who are gonna sell the courses. Those are the people who are going to be known in the podcasting and the video creation world. It was true in the 2000, it was true in 2010, it's true today in 2022. Now in the months to come, why not take the first steps in becoming that person for yourself? In becoming the one that other people look to as a go-to person to get the kind of information that is central to your business, is central to your skill set. You can 
become that person. And blogging, I believe, is going to be, and it's always been, even though it doesn't have the focus and attention on it right now that it may have, let's say, back in 2008, it's always going to be invaluable as that tool. It will. It is evergreen for the foreseeable future. And if you want to add video to that, then you're you're going to be you're going to be able to make it even more powerful. If you want to add audio and images to it, again, you're just fleshing it out. All right, let's go ahead and put the bookmarker in it there. That's about all for today. I hope you enjoyed this topic. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, if it will help a friend, please share this episode link with them or send them to jimgalliano.com forward slash podcast. All of my back episodes are there. And as always, your sharing of this podcast does make it possible for me to reach some of these people who would otherwise probably be not only difficult, but outright impossible to reach. So thanks again for listening. Have a great rest of your week and I'll talk to you later.